Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all together and for the opportunity to study your word and pray that we would be mutually encouraged in our common salvation in your son and that uh, we would have a living and abiding hope and uh, that you build us up and equip us with your word and the gospel uh, to uh, preach it and proclaim it and uh, to build up the body of Christ uh, by the power of your spirit and so pray that you'd be with us and that you'd work through us and that you'd teach us and instruct us in your word and we pray in your son's name amen well we're going to be looking at uh, Deuteronomy quickly go to the end of Leviticus and then we'll jump to the end of Numbers right into Deuteronomy There are 27 chapters in Leviticus. Yep, 27. And so we're going to try and wrap up uh, tonight, if we have to touch on a couple things next week with our looking at our introduction to uh, to Genesis and getting into the, the heart of it. We've just been looking at some of the more explicit evidence for uh, Moses' uh, work as uh, mediator, teacher, author of the Torah, and really seeing it come together uh, with all that was uh, written and taught in their uh, first year at Sinai uh, with the oracle against Amalek. I shall utterly blot out uh, the memory of Amalek from under heaven, and uh, the giving of the Ten Commandments, and the Book of the Covenant, and uh, the records and the instructions for building the tabernacle and the materials for it. And uh, Leviticus wasn't explicitly said it was written down, but he teaches and they write. Uh, they, they write his instruction again and again. Uh, and that kind of brought us through the first year, and really kind of concluding that with the first census, as they're to head out in the second year and uh, receive the, the land. And... Then we were just looking at what was written uh, throughout Numbers uh, and taught during their 40 years in the wilderness uh, in leading up to the second generation on the east, uh, east of the Jordan, on the bank of the Jordan, uh, ready to cross over and enter in uh, without uh, the, the males over 20 uh, besides uh, Caleb and Joshua uh, to, to receive the lamb because God was faithful uh, despite the people's unfaithfulness. And, they still didn't even starve in the wilderness. That first generation, he led them for 40, 40 years uh, to teach and instruct and to teach and instruct the second generation. And so as we go into Deuteronomy, I just want you to see some of these links that appear th- throughout the end of Leviticus and Numbers, but just at the, the very tail end, let's look at verse 33. So we see how it transitions. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, so talking about sacrifices and uh, tithe of herds and flocks, if he does substitute for it, then uh, both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. 
these are the commandments that Yahweh commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. So Leviticus begins with Yahweh and God uh, spoke to Moses and called him and then spoke to him saying, and you see that throughout Leviticus, God spoke, God spoke, God commanded. Then Moses speaks to the people and sometimes Aaron and uh, throughout is uh, Moses' prophet, uh, his brother. And then it concludes, just summary, framing all of Leviticus, these are the commandments that Yahweh commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. And now, sometimes we've seen, uh, he has his assistant Joshua, uh, he has Aaron, uh, his brother, for a prophet, he has his nephews Eliezer and Ithamar and uh, the Levites, uh, and the elders who sometimes he writes down, sometimes he dictates, they write down, sometimes he instructs and commands from God and has them uh, take census and record the materials. But one way or another, uh, these are the commandments that Yahweh commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Uh, it's Mosaic teaching, Mosaic instruction uh, through and through. And jump to the end of Numbers. Are there three, six chapters in Numbers? Yes. So they get to the end, and there are a lot of commandments and instructions, and uh, we saw the some of the songs that were written, the book of the, the wars of Yahweh, uh, in which they had victory songs and such, uh, uh, to remember uh, how God had delivered them and brought judgment on the Amalekites and their enemies. Uh, and you have the second census and uh, the travel itinerary that we were seeing that that's quoted throughout framing Exodus 12 through at least numbers 25 or so. Uh, and that's kind of the location they, they stay at between Ramses uh, and then being on the, the bank of the, the Jordan uh, east, uh, near, near Moab, uh, waiting to, ready to cross over to the west, to Jericho, uh, to the, the land of Canaan to take it. And so, so much of Exodus and Numbers is framed around this, and you see sort of the travel itinerary that we're looking at, uh, often quoted verbatim. Uh, it, it becomes part of the, the framework of scripture, and you find a lot of the some of the narrative about the, the exodus, uh, the deliverance through the water, uh, drowning Pharaoh's horses and chariots under the sea, uh, even Aaron's death uh, going up on the mountain, you find it in kind of an encapsulated form, but then it's, it's expanded uh, in, the, in the full Torah as, as it is being, being written. And then we get to the end through the, all these commandments, these laws, and also about like inheritance. If uh, a son dies and there is no heir, uh, you, you have uh, these ladies, these uh, women who were to receive land of their father. It was to stay with the, uh, the clan, with their people and the tribes. And so just look at verse 12. Uh, they were married into the clans of the people of Manasseh, uh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their fathers, 
uh, clan. So these are the daughters of uh, Zelophehad. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, let's see. I, sometimes you have to look at the Hebrew text because uh, the sometimes spelling in English it doesn't always come come through. But Tzelafichad, uh, Tzelafichad. Um, so you have to be careful uh, pronouncing that when you're just getting over a cold. So. <laughs> I had to put some of my Hebrew kind of on the back burner. <laughs> Otherwise, it's simple. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, verse, uh, well, some of those sounds, you know, I, I make when I don't want when I have yeah. a cold. And, <laughs> and if I try and make them, it just makes things worse. So verse uh, 13, uh, these are the commandments and rules that Yahweh commanded through Moses to the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. These are the commandments and the rules uh, that Yahweh commanded through Moses to the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. And so again and again, the, the whole framing, I mean, even with Exodus, uh, Moses is God's prophet. He's his authoritative spokesman, uh, and Aaron is his prophet. And so although sometimes you see others write uh, under the behest of Moses, under his commandment, uh, that comes ultimately from God, uh, the, the teaching, the instruction, the writing, it's mosaic uh, at, its, at its core. Uh, and this brings us into Deuteronomy, and some have kind of called this uh, Moses' last will and testament for the people. And so just as the second generation's ready to enter the land, and the first generation, the, the men have died off. Uh, Aaron, Miriam have died off. Uh, they've, God has been faithful and given them the land of uh, King uh, Sihon of Heshbon and uh, Og of Bashan uh, to the, the east uh, of Israel, to the east of the Jordan. And here... Uh, Moses is ready to die. He's not going to enter into the land with them, but he's to strengthen and encourage Joshua uh, the, and the elders and the people to enter in uh, to take possession uh, with the fulfillment of God's promises. And so, yeah, 120 years of age, as we'll see uh, later in Deuteronomy, very much like the flood generation, 120 years, God's spirit wasn't going to always uh, contend uh, with uh, the people. Uh, and so the earth should be 120 years and cut off. Only Noah and his family go across. And you have this kind of complex theme that develops. And then you see again with Moses, uh, who's lived uh, 120 years, uh, you're in 123 uh, the last one to live over 120 is Jehoiada, who I think is 130, uh, which is not quite a thousand years after after this, but uh, several several hundred, six, eight hundred, uh, quite quite some time uh, afterwards. And so, at 120 years, and you see at the beginning of Exodus, God delivers uh, this little child. And he goes in the tev, going back to the uh, the ark. 
uh, this kind of basket, this flood uh, that Noah has delivered through the flood and those who are with him. And so God providentially delivers Moses from the, uh, the Egyptians to, to kill and, and drown uh, the uh, infant male boys. And, and then at the end, 120 years, cut off. He, he can't enter into the promised land. Uh, and this whole generation, another generation, cut off. And some of that shows up elsewhere, I think, throughout like Judges and uh, with the first three kings, uh, Saul, David, and Solomon, 40 years each, 120 years, and the kingdom's divided uh, at the, the end of it. And so there, there are some of these themes in God's providence uh, that is a lesson uh, for the people. Yeah, Ruth? I was talking about this question with my mm-hmm. Well, I suppose with certain things, like we don't have an authoritative prophet to say, well, you know, this is why this person died or whatever. So we can't really make uh, pronouncements uh, like that. Um, However, uh, we know that like with the curse and sin uh, and just the God's judicial hardening and giving over uh, to sin that people are still under the curse. They're still under the curse of death. And so it's kind of like Jesus says, do you think these people were worse uh, sinners? You know, when the Tower of Siloam fell upon them, do you think they were worse sinners because this happened to them? No, but I tell you, unless you repent, you will perish likewise. And so that's kind of the message for the world and for, for everyone uh, now is the time to repent. Now is the time uh, to, to turn to Christ uh, and to the good news. Uh, because, well, even like in the Gospel of John, and sometimes you can't have a play, but the, that the Father didn't send the Son to judge the world because the world's already under judgment. Now, he is going to judge one day, but the world's already under judgment. It's already under sin. It's already guilty and, and condemned. And so he came to redeem. Uh, there'd be no, no redemption. And so his primary ministry when he came in his first com- coming was one of redemption, uh, to, to redeem people out of a world that was already uh, dark and blackened by sin and condemnation and guilt. Uh, and so he came to redeem. So I, I think there's kind of that general we see the world, it's, un, it's under the curse. Uh, it's, it's, it suffers uh, under the conflict and struggle that you see all the way back in Genesis between, which is part of the curse. It's not saying with the serpent and his respective offspring and the woman and her respective offspring, there's a struggle and conflict all the way throughout history uh, in between the man and the woman uh, it's not telling husbands and wives to be in conflict. It's part of the curse. Uh, and the man in the ground. And then you see with Cain, uh, sin is crouching at the door, indwelling sin. You know, there's a, there's a struggle and conflict, and oftentimes not a conflict with indwelling sin. I guess in our natural state, we, we're happy to follow it. But 
you see all these conflicts like throughout, and so, uh, yeah, we see the curse all the way throughout the world, but we can't prophetically, you know, say with any specific instance uh, that, oh, if a believer died or something, oh, they must be under a curse or, you know, a generational curse like people talk about and such. And then the other thing I was thinking is a lot of that, you know, is, is metaphoric, I think, like especially just thinking of how the entire Israel journey, God's chosen people, is, you know, to show us that we're his chosen people. He didn't give up on them, but he also disciplined Israel. Mm-hmm. And when they went astray, he did punish them. Mm-hmm. And I think especially, and also the people they conquered, you know, there's in the final judgment, the sheep and the goats, and, you know, the people that God chose, he calls them the new Israel. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think it's also symbolic of God is really a just God, and it's showing that he really does carry out his Oh, yeah. His and and so, so many. I mean, really, the you'd have to say, from what it speaks of that generation, and they, by and large, well, kind of like Moses, they didn't circumcise their sons. Uh, the second generation, they have to be circumcised before they enter the land with Joshua and before the, the Passover that they have after crossing over the Jordan because they were uncircumcised because their fathers and mothers didn't hold fast and, and believe God's covenant with Abraham. And so they're basically saying, we're not, we're not of the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're not sharers in, in the blessing. It, and so this generation, by and large, died in unbelief. And so uh, most of them will, uh, they'll be under eternal eternal punishment. And the, the author of Hebrews makes that clear too, although you have some like Moses and such who were believers, but still they, he couldn't enter the land at that time. So... Well, let's just look at the start of uh, Deuteronomy. And one thing I want to show you is that the whole of Deuteronomy is framed as uh, law, as Torah, that Moses expounds. And it's really structured as a covenantal document. Uh, It has a lot of features that were familiar. (coughs) It has differences, too, but it has a lot of features that were familiar even in as they've said, like uh, Hittite, like covenantal treaties and uh, different covenants and laws that people would have at, at that time. You see some of these covenants made even between, like with God and Abraham, but also with Abraham and uh, Abimelech and, and some of the peoples of the land and such. And so uh, there are certain uh, aspects that it shares as far as uh, the structure of uh, covenantal legal uh, documents, and God is the the sovereign. Uh, they sometimes talk about uh, vassal uh, suzerain treaties. Uh, suzerain is like a king, a great ruler, and Yahweh, he's the, he's Israel's king. In fact, he's the king of all of heaven and earth, uh, and the the creator creator of all. And so, there are some aspects of these things that the people peoples would have been familiar. Uh, and and under understood. And so first, I'll just read from from a introduction called uh, "The World and the Word: An Introduction to the Old Testament." The World and the Word: An Introduction to the Old Testament, by uh, Eugene H. Merrill, uh, Mark Rooker, and Michael Grisanti. 
Uh, Michael Grisanti is at the, the Master's uh, Seminary, uh, John MacArthur's Seminary. I think Eugene Merrill was at, I think he is at uh, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, shares uh, some historical ties with the, the Master's Seminary. But they kind of summarize just some of these aspects of the, the structure of Deuteronomy. Uh, and some of this, it, it binds in to show uh, the unity of Deuteronomy, but that it's a covenantal text. And we're, we're going to see Moses like write it down in such. And covenantal documents, the laws, the laws of God, were, uh, they were written down. Uh, even I was listening to lectures on uh, some ancient Mesopotamian civilizations and like the old Babylonian Empire. And uh, Hammurabi had uh, his law code uh, it's preserved on big monumental uh, stone uh, structure that is, I, think, I recall it's like eight feet tall and he has his law on it uh, for, for reading and, and kind of public viewing and, and such. And you, you see a lot of times that the patriarchs and Abraham and such, they'd set up uh, monuments to remember covenants and uh, kind of landmarks to, to remember what God had done and the namings of places, uh, Beth, Bethel or Bethel, uh, house of God, and uh, Bethlehem, uh, house of bread, and uh, things to, to remember uh, these places and their, their history and God's acts and words and deeds uh, in salvation history. And so some of these elements that we'll see, uh, these are some of the standard elements as we study Deuteronomy, Lord willing, um, more in depth, maybe in the future after Genesis and such, uh, but we'll we'll see some of we'll see more of the the differences too. They're distinctive uh, with Deuteronomy and biblical writing, but some of the elements of uh, these covenant treaties are first we'll see a preamble, and then uh, a historical prologue. And then it goes to the laws, general stipulations, specific stipulations and laws for the people, uh, followed by blessings and curses and uh, witnesses to the covenant. You know, if, if it's not obeyed, uh, curses come. Uh, if they believe and obey, uh, blessing, and they live long in the land. And so just starting with the preamble, uh, the first five verses, uh, they say, uh, this section is an introduction to the main text and provides the setting in which the text is being presented to the vassal, so the steward, the servant of, of the, the king, uh, by uh, the great king. And so it just sets the, the context. And that's pretty typical of uh, narrative too, but uh, the, the context in which the covenant is made with uh, the people. So let's just read Deuteronomy Verses 1 through 5. So we've just gotten out of, out of numbers uh, that these are the commandments and the rules that Yahweh commanded through Moses to the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. And we saw that at the end of Levit Leviticus too. And now Deuteronomy begins, uh, verse 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan. In the wilderness, in the Araba, opposite Suf, uh, between Paran and Tophel, 
uh, Lavan, Hazerot, and Dizahav. It is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that Yahweh had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Sihon, uh, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, uh, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtarot and in Edrei. Uh, beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord your God, uh, Lord our God said to us in heart, and so it go, goes on into this narrative account, reminding them about what has transpired from Sinai up until this point. Uh, just set the context for this covenant renewal uh, that he's making and the commandments and the laws that come uh, with God as their uh, king. And so again, this book is framed as instruction and commandment from God on high through uh, his authoritative spokesman, Moses. Uh, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness uh, in the Arabah. And so it gives the setting just to the east of the Jordan, getting ready to cross west over uh, just north of the Dead Sea uh, to, to receive the, the land. And so it sets the geographical location and context, uh, the timing. Uh, it says it is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to uh, Kadesh Barnea, which there is, is a number of scholars point out, Eugene Merrill, uh, Christopher uh, Wright, that one, uh, I guess we spoke about in, in a sermon a while back with uh, Aaron and Miriam, they await seven days for Miriam. It was just a short jaunt to, to the land. They didn't have far to go. It wasn't going to take that long. They'd been, at, they'd been at Mount Sinai for a year, and the people are grumbling and complaining on their way to go and receive a land flowing with milk and honey, and, uh, and they rebelled. 11 days journey, that's it. Well, now they took a little bit of a roundabout trip, didn't they? Forty years and uh, the first generation, all the men are laid waste and dead uh, in the, the desert because of their sin and rebellion and ingratitude and unbelief toward God. So uh, quite a reminder. Uh, in the 40th year, 40 years have passed now. It's the third 40th segment of Moses' life. He's 120. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that Yahweh had given him in commandment to them after he had defeated Sihon, uh, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Asherot and in uh, Edrei. <clears throat> and now, Eric, would you mind uh, reading... Let's see, verse 5 through, through 8. Oh, Deuteronomy 1? <clears throat> yep, and so it's got a transition then from the preamble, giving kind of the setting, into the historical prologue, uh, which is uh, Numbers chapter 1, verse 6, through the end of chapter 4, uh, verse 49. Uh, they say... Uh, Eugene uh, 
Merrill uh, and his uh, co-authors. Uh, the purpose of this element is to rehearse the past relationships between the contracting parties and even their respective forebears. Uh, and so the, their connection, their relationship uh, to uh, their, their king and, and lord, uh, here the, the God Most High. And you can see similar things in Exodus 19 as they enter to Sinai. Uh, into 20, giving the Ten Commandments, 21 through 23, uh, the Book of the Covenant, general stipulations, more specific ones, uh, to, as you go into uh, 21, 23, 24, Exodus 24, you see the ratification of the covenant, uh, offering sacrifices, the blood of the covenant, uh, the, the books, the uh, Book of the Covenant, Moses writes it down and reads it before all the people in their hearing to uh, to hear the, the word of, of God, and especially the elders. Uh, he, he couldn't speak to all, well, over 600,000 men and women and children, but uh, there'd be those with all the elders and uh, with the tribe and such, and the elders even go and eat before God and, and Aaron and Moses and such uh, as representative of the people and to also take the word of God to, to them to instruct. And you even see uh, his uh, father-in-law, Jethro, in instructing Moses about appointing judges who, who can t teach the people, you know, God's word and such, wise and godly men. And so they ratify the, the covenant. And you have the blood of the covenant. You have sacrifices. You have it written down. You have it read to the people uh, in provision for reading in the future and such. And so here we transition from the preamble to the historical Prologue. So, uh, beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at, in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in Arabah, in the hill country, and in the lowland, and in the Negev, and by the seacoast the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to them and to their offspring after them. And so, go, have at it. Go take the land. You know, it's, it's time. He goes on to recount uh, appointing their leaders, uh, and then when they were to go into the land, uh, the people recommended uh, that they uh, send uh, spies, surveyors into the land to see see if it's a good land, see which way they should go, and survey the cities. And it, it was right in Moses' eyes. And there you have to, I guess you'd have to go back in numbers and see, was it right in God's eyes, you know, when they when they appointed them. Uh, sometimes yes, sometimes no. You know, sometimes uh, they're just acting in human human wisdom, but God hasn't said to do that. And goes on to talk about the how they rebelled, the 40 years uh, in the, uh, the wilderness. Uh, they died. Uh, and then as they've come to this point with deaths of uh, Aaron and Miriam, maybe mention those later, but uh, taking the eastern land from uh, Sihon and, and Og and kings of, of the Amorites. <clears throat> and this leads up to 
end of Deuteronomy 4. And so it talks about cities of refuge, uh, setting them apart. And Steve, would you mind reading from verse 44 just into, uh, let's see, the first two verses of chapter 5. Chapter 4, and which verse I start out to? 44. Yep. <clears throat> now this is the law which Moses set before the sons of Israel. These are the testimonies and the statutes and the ordinances which Moses spoke to the sons of Israel when they came out from Egypt. Across, from Egypt, across the Jordan, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sion, the king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon, whom Moses and his sons of it, and the sons of Israel defeated, when they came out from Egypt. And they took possession of his land and the land of Og, king of Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites, who were across the Jordan to the east, from Aroer, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, even as far as Mount Sion, that is Hermon with all the Arabah across the Jordan to the east, even as far as the Sea of the Arabah and at the foot of the slopes of Pisgah. And how many more verses? Uh, go through verse uh, 3. Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking today to you, to your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, and all those of us alive here today. And there it's probably speaking about uh, with uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So uh, the covenant at Sinai, uh, they were not present for uh, their, their fathers and even the patriarchs, uh, 12 sons of, of Jacob. Joseph and uh, those who who went before them. And so here we have transition out of the narrative and you have this uh, little uh, narratorial sort of statement that summarizes uh, what Moses had just taught. And uh, these are the commandments and the statutes. And we, we see that again and again. So recounting this narrative, how they've come here uh, through the rebellion, through the 40 years, to the east of the Jordan, uh, ready to enter in. Uh, and now uh, Moses turns to the, the covenant uh, in the general uh, stipulations, uh, as uh, they say. And they're really looking at the, the core, the heart of, it really starts with idolatry. And God is uh, the one true living creator God. And uh, him alone uh, do they serve? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Uh, in the next chapter, he gets into the, the Ten Commandments, but focuses on these core issues of their relationship with God and even illustrating it uh, through uh, their <clears throat> time in the, the wilderness and their rebellion and, and uh, even rejection of, of God uh, to teach and instruct them. And so chapters 5, uh, at least through the, the end of chapter 11, you have some of these core uh, teachings uh, that they expand upon and 
uh, Merrill and uh, Rooker and Grisanti say of the general stipulations, uh, these are the basic principles of relationship designed to reveal the purposes of the great king and to alert the vassal regarding the guidelines within which those purposes, as they affect him especially, are to be implemented in uh, time to come. And so, sort of the, the real core, to put it too lightly, meat and potatoes, I mean, the, of their relationship with God. This is the heart of it. Uh, this is the core. This is the, uh, the essence, uh, so much of it, what it boils down to, uh, how God has delivered them and saved them and redeemed them and how they're utterly de dependent upon him and that uh, they should love him with all their hearts and soul and mind and strength. And, and when you go into this land and uh, God drives out the people before you, do not say in your hearts that uh, it's because of our righteousness that God is giving us this land. Oh, no, no, no. It's because of their unrighteousness that God uh, is driving them out and bringing judgment upon them. And because he swore to your fathers that he would give this land to their offspring after them, he's bringing you into the land. Uh, and you, you weren't the, the greatest and mightiest of all the peoples, but you were the very least of them. <laughs> you, your father was, uh, I mean, it almost sounds kind of like an insult, but you, your father, your father, you, uh, your father was uh, from Ur, you know, he, he was uh, he was a pagan. He, he, was one of the, he was one of the Gentiles, one of the Goyim, the, the peoples, uh, the wayward nations. Uh, they worshiped other gods, uh, Avram and uh, Terah and uh, his father and uh, Nahor and uh, Abram's brother. Uh, they worshiped other gods, but God brought him out and, and made a covenant and called Abraham uh, to make a special people for his own possession that would be a blessing uh, to all, all nations. And so here you have the general stipulations uh, that introduce uh, all of this covenant language. Uh, and part of that, it's also important to see, we're going to see more and more as it talks about Mo Moses writing down the covenant uh, is some scholars have pointed out, and I guess we spoke about, if any of you were at some of our classes on uh, Paul and the Law and looking at Romans and such, uh, and different aspects of the the law as as covenant, uh, as scripture, uh, in in its different uh, dimensions, that you see the law is multifaceted, and sometimes they talk about the Torah in in Paul and such, and uh, like to the Galatians, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to what the law says? And he goes on to draw on uh, Sarah and Hagar uh, and their two sons uh, at the end of uh, Galatians 4. He draws on this narrative. Wait, law, Torah? I, I thought you just had, you know, sort of the moral, civil, ceremonial. It's just legal bits and stipulations. No, Torah, Torah is more than that. Uh, it's, there's narrative. Uh, there's genealogy. There's... In the five books of Moses, it's, it's interwoven. In Deuteronomy, you can't quite separate. You try and piece together. It talks about like what Moses 
like wrote down and there are some things that are maybe a little tricky. Okay, what were they to write down on, on the stone that was plastered when they went into the land? Was it all of Deuteronomy? Or, um, but it's so tightly interwoven with all of this narrative, with Moses' exhortation, that you see this unity uh, that, um, that Moses wrote down and, and recorded. Uh, and there, there could be little elements here and there, uh, like we'll see at the end with his death, that you know, maybe came from Joshua or little editorial uh, bits that help uh, those who follow. You know, there might have been some work uh, left to do with Genesis through Deuteronomy, but by and large, we see the, the core of all this material there. You, yeah. you said east of the Jordan, but it's like beyond the Jordan. Yeah, and yeah. And that I detect, and that is what's happening. Yeah. They're gathered in Israel, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they're saying, I'm going to let Moses take over in a second, but yeah. when you set the scene, remember they were beyond the jar. Yeah, so. yeah. And uh, th that very well could be. You know, I, I've uh, read that too, and uh, Grisanti like, cites that as well. And there, there are a number of those, but sometimes, and you, you, do, you do have some where we'll see, like with Moses' death, where they cite place names and such. Not only is Moses dead, now you could say, well, God, well, he's, he's the prophet. He could have spoke about his death beforehand or something. Although he then maybe kind of flatter himself a little bit at the end. But, but also, the, the, there's a, it doesn't say that God had Moses prophesy and say, this is what happened to my servant Moses or something. And they cite place names like Dan to the north and other places that only come after uh, the conquest of the land and uh, God had Moses appoint Joshua and appoint, uh, appoint um, uh, Eliezer, uh, Aaron's son, the high priest, uh, and the, the elders to divvy out the land and to distribute it after the, after the conquest. And so there are some things like that. Sometimes you'll see like maybe the tribe of Dan to the north, but that's after the, in, the initial seven-year conquest that the tribe of Dan traveled all the way up to the north near Mount Hermon beyond uh, the Sea of Galilee. But sometimes, sometimes you'll see beyond the Jordan, it was often used for those in the land, for the, what's outside. There are times, though, where you'll see it also use it from, uh, from a different per perspective, from outside the land. And so, uh, and so sometimes... Uh, Sometimes the potential, like anachronisms and such, sometimes they might not be, you know, other times uh, they are and such. And so, but we see that Moses worked with uh, Joshua. Uh, he worked with uh, Aaron, his prophet. Uh, El Eliezer took over for his father afterwards. Uh, Phinehas, uh, Joshua, the same spirit that was upon Moses was upon him and Joshua will later write. Uh, and there are even things like in Joshua where it seems to say that it could be your descendants, but it seems to say that uh, Hagar, or, or not Hagar, uh, uh, wait, who's the Jericho Canaanite prostitute? Yes, Rahab. Boy, uh, struggling a little bit tonight, but uh, it's like. Uh, Ruth, uh, you know, all, all these, uh, going through all the R names. 
But Rahab says that she lived in the land as unto this day. And there are other things. Some say, well, maybe it's her descent. But it says her. But then there are other things where it says as unto this day. Where you're like, no, it, it, there are some things where it's, it's tightly linked with just within, you know, generations of the conquest. Uh, and the, there are links with like Phinehas and such uh, in the bearing of uh, Joseph's bones, end of Je Genesis. Uh, you see that again in uh, the heart of Exodus as they're coming out of uh, coming out through uh, 12 through 15 uh, on the Exodus, crossing the sea. But you see it again at the end of Joshua, and you find Phinehas at the end of Judges. And so there, there were still people alive and such who, who were uh, witnesses uh, to these things. And another interesting one is where it talks about how they ate manna for, uh, Israel ate manna for 40 years uh, in, in the wilderness, like until they entered the land in uh, Exodus uh, I suppose that'd be 16, I believe, into 17. But um, when they're in the wilderness, and you have almost that same statement early, like in Joshua and such, and maybe Moses uh, wrote that one, but you could also have, uh, you could also have, uh, as they're traveling in, giving some of the context. But there's eyewitness stuff there. Uh, and that one, if it was Moses, I think he even talks about the eight man in the wilderness, 40 years in Deuteronomy. He's kind of looking forward, okay, it hasn't ended yet, but it's going to soon uh, once they go into the, the land and they eat the, the first fruits of the, the land that God had promised them. What does that mean, as on to this day, then? That, that when I was reading the Bible mm -hmm. the last time I read it, yeah. I was underlining those mm -hmm. Well, it, it's, it's for whatever narrator's writing. Uh, sometimes uh, you have, like, Moses. Uh, he even uses that, like, in Deuteronomy where he's speaking. And so some things, it, it's to remember, uh, to reflect on something that is still there as a sign of God's deeds, uh, his work. And so uh, Rahab still lived in the land. Uh, and so you, you see the, uh, the truth of that. Uh, there were certain like uh, pillars and such that they set up as unto this day. And so the narrator uh, commenting, reflecting on that's still there. You can go see, you can go see that pillar. You can go see uh, to remember. Uh, they're writing things that happened in real history uh, and such. And so uh, that effect, that sign... Uh, is still uh, still with them. And even the names of the places. Well, when we read scripture, it causes us to remember, you know, what God, God did. But I mean, as far as it's not here to this day. So oh, right. oh, yeah, yeah. The time of the writing is, is a moment of the writing was a yeah. text. Yeah, yeah. And so, and that's a theme that goes uh, throughout, I think, Unto this day, here's uh, there's a study I was doing 84 times, so you have like 42, 42, which is kind of thematic. So you have 12 sevens across the entire canon. Uh, it's woven like with Chronicles to Genesis. And so the, there are some things that like Moses and authors wrote beforehand 
but then maybe like Ezra, Nehemiah kind of pull together these can, uh, canonical links to say, this is scripture. This is the word. You know, the, nothing to be added, nothing to be taken, uh, taken away. And there are things like that that are woven throughout uh, the entirety of uh, scripture. I think at the heart of that, it comes with the uh, Temple of Solomon and then later the judgment that's like going to come. And part of that, it's part of like creation themes and such. Uh, you have the six days of, of creation and you see like 42, you know, six times seven, the, the completion of God's creation, the completion of his temple, the completion of the tabernacle. And all, all of creation was to be holy to God and uh, a place for him to uh, d dwell and make his presence known, you know, to, to his people. And so, oh, it looks like we're running out of time. So we'll have to go one more week. But, uh, you know, I, I hope it's uh, encouragement. Didn't mean to spend so much time on it, but sometimes we've had a little different composition of the class, different crew, and uh, we've also had interruptions and such along the way. But it also kind of gives us not only just evidence for Moses' uh, authorship throughout Scripture uh, and all of the, you know, these historical ties and such uh, that hopefully gives us more confidence and such, uh, just seeing what does, what does Scripture say about these things, you know, uh, what evidence does, does it provide, but also to get a little more understanding of just how the Torah fits together uh, so that when we go back to creation, we'll see that it was set in this context and written for an audience uh, and for the audience to those in the second generation to enter into the land and those who followed uh, after them for their, uh, their instruction. And so we see that the, the Torah is something, gives us kind of like a survey uh, so we get uh, just a higher level view of how it all fits together and unfolds. So, well, let's just uh, close with prayer and uh, we'll uh, conclude this next week, Lord willing. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word and uh, thank you just for the, the depth of the riches of your word and uh, how we see through and through that you spoke through your uh, servant, your prophet Moses, and, uh, to give your words to your people for their instruction. Uh, and as the Apostle Paul says, these things are written for us, uh, for, for our edification, so that uh, we might be built up and have hope and confidence uh, in your salvation that's uh, through through your son, uh, through his death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, we thank you for, for all of your prophets, but above all, we thank you for uh, the uh, prophet of prophets and the, the king of kings and judge of judges, uh, your uh, faithful uh, heavenly high priest who sits at your right hand to intercede for us uh, even even as we speak and so we thank you for him and we pray lord jesus that you come quickly and uh, please put your words on our mouth and uh, uh, give us a boldness and opportunity to share the good news and i uh, pray that you'd uh, build up uh, your your body uh, to your glory and uh, the glory of your father forevermore amen <laughs>